All right, so last week I was sharing you guys, that those who stayed on the, uh, the importance of exercising your faith and how we've all been given the measure of faith, but our faith needs to be exercised in order to be strong. So it's interesting thing about faith is faith is a gift, but faith is also a fruit. If you think of Ephesians 2.8, it says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and it's the gift of God. So faith is a gift, but when you think of the fruit of the Spirit, it talks about in Galatians 5, it also mentions faith as a fruit. So faith is something you receive in your spirit when you're born again, but it also has to be developed in your soul over time as you practice faith and you practice believing God. So then we looked at um, how disciples were asked to forgive uh, someone that sins against them even seven times in the same day. Now, in order for someone to sin against you seven times in the same day, they probably would have to be a family member or someone really close to, someone that you worked with or someone you spent a lot of time with the same day. And they cried out, God, increase our faith, because they didn't think their faith was good enough to do it. They didn't think they could obey what Jesus asked them to do. And so Jesus' instructions were quite different. You wouldn't really expect your school teacher or Sunday school teacher to tell you to do this. He said, go talk to a tree. Did you hear me right? I just asked you how to forgive. You say, go talk to a tree. He said, go talk to that mulberry tree. to Be uprooted and cast into the sea, and it will obey you. And that mulberry tree represented bitterness and unforgiveness. And they needed to speak to that tree of bitterness and unforgiveness to get out of their heart, out of the way. Then they would be able to forgive, even if somebody sinned against them seven times in the same day. Now, that takes faith to believe that. That's not a natural faith, like we talked about a few weeks ago. That is a supernatural faith to believe that you can forgive somebody that sins against you seven times in the same day. Now, I'm not wishing that on anybody, praise God. That, that would be awful. But if you do, if that does happen, you have it in your spirit to the grace, the love of Jesus to forgive someone even if they sin that much against you in the same day. And if you feel like you don't, then you need to speak to that mountain. You need to speak to that that tree, that mulberry tree, to get out of your heart so you can believe what God said. Amen? All right, so uh, when I thought about this, it's an interesting teaching on speaking to a tree, and I wondered if Jesus just talked about this one time or did he talk about it multiple times. But uh, I also thought of another guy that spoke to trees, and that's Billy Graham. Do you remember him? He used to, when he was growing up in the Lord, he used to go out into the woods and preach to the trees as a way of practicing. So um, he did that. Some other people probably did that, but... Uh, is this teaching a one-time teaching? And I'm going to tell you, no, it's not. And I'm going to show you other scripture where Jesus told him again and again, speak to the tree. You know, life and death is in the power of your tongue. It's in the power of your tongue. And those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. So what we say is important. So when Jesus gives us instructions on things we should say or things we should speak to, I think we need to pay close attention because there's a reason he's given the illustration that he's given. Okay? So this next one we see is in Mark 11. Very famous portion of scripture, Mark 11, starting in verse 12. I'll read this to you from the New King James Version. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. That doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? But it was Jesus. But it doesn't sound like him. He's, he cursed a tree and it died. We're going to drop down to verse 19. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, 
they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. So it was withered from the top down from like heat. It was withered from the roots up. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you curse has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. In the EPC, they sometimes say, thanks be to God, right? That is the word of the Lord. And uh, it isn't, uh, it's a challenging word. It's an empowering word, but it's a word we need to believe. Amen? So as the story begins, they're leaving the town of Bethany. They're going outside of town to find a place to sleep. And Jesus probably ministered all day long, and he was hungry. You can clear that off the screen for me, thanks. Uh, Jesus was hungry, and he went looking for some food. So he comes to this fig tree that wasn't in season because the time for figs hadn't come yet. So why would he go looking at a tree if it wasn't the season for figs? Jesus would probably know, right, what season it was in. So when he found the tree, it wasn't going to meet his need for hunger. It wasn't going to satisfy his stomach from growling. It wasn't going to satisfy those grumblings, and he still had who knows how far to walk. He cursed it. He cursed it. Now, this doesn't sound like Jesus, but it is in the Word. It is Jesus. Why would he curse a fig tree for, for not producing figs when it wasn't even the season that figs were supposed to grow in? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Like, it would make more sense if he cursed it if it was in season and just wasn't doing its job, but he cursed it. So some have suggested just in fun that maybe he was still upset, you know, with the fig tree from the whole Garden of Eden thing and how the fall of man and Adam and Eve hid behind a fig tree and made himself close, but that's probably unlikely. But why do he speak to a fig tree? There's, and why do he pick on that just that one fig tree? Um, so in my mind, I'm thinking there was probably a lesson that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples from doing this. It wasn't just about the tree. So he curses the fig tree uh, because it didn't have fruit when it wasn't in season. Now this made me think of Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 4, 2, where Paul says to Timothy, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. So he told Timothy here, Paul's telling Timothy he's a young pastor. He's got a, from what I see in church history, at a fairly large church, around 4,000 people or so. Uh, Jesus' mother probably went to that church. It was in the city of Ephesus, and uh, there was a lot of stuff going on there. And he's a young man. A young, a young, he's intimidated a bit. Uh, and he says, be prepared. Preach the word in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. So it wasn't just encourage, encourage, encourage. It was sometimes correcting people, uh, rebuking them, and encouraging them. So, but is this the lesson? This is maybe a lesson for this, for the, from this story. But is this the lesson that Jesus was trying to say with this fig tree? I'm not sure. It may be one, but I don't think it's the main reason. Now, every detail of this story is important. Every detail. So remember, they were leaving Bethany, going out into the town. The name Bethany means a house of figs or a, a place where they would expect abundance of figs. This is a place known for their fig trees, a place known for their fruit. And it's supposed to be a place where he should expect to see food and receive food. And if you remember in this story, they're in the month of April. 
It's five days away from Passover, the Passover where Jesus was going to suffer and be crucified. Now in Israel, I've been there, Dave Mark's been there with John, and we got to eat some figs when we were there. But in Israel, fig trees produce crops of small edible buds in March, followed by the appearance of large green leaves in April. So it was April when this happened. Remember, Jesus saw the leaves from a distance. He saw that it had leaves. So he expected, since the buds come first in March, these small buds that was very common for the, the Jewish people to eat back in that day, that he expected that tree to have buds on it. And it didn't have any buds. And this, the fact that it had buds and didn't have any leaves meant that that tree was going to be barren that whole year. It wasn't ever going to produce fruit. It was too late. If the buds weren't there, there'd be no fruit, right? Same with other plants and other things. So when he saw that tree in a distance, he was expecting to find fruit, expecting to find food, and there was none, and he cursed that tree because it was barren. The condemnation of that tree was due to its barrenness. It was put there on this earth to produce fruit, to give food and substance to people, and it was not doing its job. And for whatever reason that day, I don't know, Jesus was hungry, so you know what happens. You see the Snicker commercials. You're not yourself when you're hungry. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, but he cursed that tree, and that thing withered up by the roots, and it died. So there's a, I believe there's a lesson here that Jesus was trying to teach us, and, and what is it? Possibly the lesson could be um, about the curse that comes on people's lives when they're fruitless, when they're barren, when people that don't know the Lord or people that are in, in the church and they've been saved for 100 years and they still have no fruit. We are called to produce fruit. We are uh, expected to produce fruit. It's like the parable of the talent. He didn't expect him to put that in the ground and produce nothing. He expected at least interest back. He expected increase. And we're expected to increase. Remember even this parable of the, of the mustard seed. Yeah, it was a mustard seed, but at the end it grew into a tree that could even support birds. It's supposed to grow, and our life is supposed to grow. And these trees um, uh, was expected to have buds, and it had none. And sometimes people's, like our, people's lives, men and women, boys and girls, you know, they, can, they can look really good from a distance. They can look really good, bright green leaves and the best smiles, and they look like they don't have care in the world, and their life is just going perfect, or like uh, the Hollywood stars or these uh, famous musicians, actors, uh, athletes, or whatever. From a distance, they look like they got it all together. They just had the best life, and everyone should be jealous of them. But as you get close and you look around those leaves, you're going to see there's no fruit. There's no substance in their life. There's emptiness, there's hollowness, there's brokenness, there's shame, there's, there's sin, there's rejection, there's pain. And they're trying, the actors are trying to pretend to be something that they're not because of the pain they're going through. And the money doesn't fix that. You know that? Money doesn't fix that. Remember Deion Sanders back in the day, the guy was playing two sports, was an all-star in, in football and baseball at the same time. Amazing athlete. Yet the guy tried to kill himself multiple times. He had more women, more cars, more money than he could ever want in his lifetime. Yet he still didn't have any fruit. He didn't have any substance. He didn't have any meaning for life because he didn't know God. He didn't know God. And uh, it's like, uh, like people sometimes on Facebook, you know, they have their pictures and they put it through Photoshop and they have to put, take out every pimple, dimple or whatever and they have to make them all perfect like our grad pictures. You know, they have to take out all the blemishes and stuff. It can not make us look like we really do, but make us look better than we really do. Because how we do look isn't good enough. We have to look better than that for somebody out there in la-la land, you know, to look good for. Well, where is this la-la land? 
I think God's calling us to be real. Amen? I, I'm not against Facebook or fo- posting your photos. I put photos on there too. But I mean, you are you. If you got a big zit on your nose, you got a big zit on your nose. I mean, that's, who, that's what's going on. And I don't think we need to pretend to be something that we're not. And I think uh, w- as we get close to people around us, we're going we're gonna to find out maybe their life's not as good as we, we thought it was. They can smile good, and they can, they can put on a good show, but maybe they have some hurt and pain, and they need Jesus. I remember at first this year, God gave me word about 2020, and just a small part of it was a 2020 vision. God's going to give us the vision, and this is not the way I expected 2020 to go. It is the way God knew it would go, but it's not the way I expected 2020 to go. And I thought we're going to have increased visions and visitation from the Lord and all these cool things we're going to see God do. And uh, that wasn't it, at least not so far. What it was is 2020 vision into what the heart of man really looks like. The heart of man from God's perspective, they're not just lost a little bit. They are doomed for hell. They, are, they, are, they have no good in them. There's nothing good in us except for Christ, right? And when people are lost, there's no way they're going to have a, a fruitful, productive God kind of life if we don't tell them who Jesus is and what he did for them. Amen? Um, the people are barren, and they're cursed and destined for hell unless somebody preaches the gospel to them and they get saved. And you know, the wise men win souls, the Bible says. The wise men win souls. Let's be wise. Now, this might be a symbolic lesson for the curse of the fig tree because people are cursed when they, when they don't produce fruit. Uh, whether they're believers or unbelievers, it's not, it's not a blessing. To You think of uh, the guy who, the peril of the talents. Did he congratulate him on that? Way to go. You've had these for a long time. You've been saved a long time, or whatever that's supposed to translate into. But he said, tie that man up and throw him outside. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That wicked, lazy servant. Now, whether that applies to people that are saved and have not produced fruit, hopefully not. But at the very least, I hope it was strike some challenge in us to produce fruit. And fruit isn't just souls. There's more, more to fruit than souls, and I'll get into that in a minute. But we can all uh, win the lost. Amen? Every one of us can. I think I heard one amen. So we all can. When it's harvest time, the pickings is going to be easy. The pickings is going to be ripe and full and easy. But you get to be a part of that if you choose to be. Amen? So um, now I think this could be a symbolic type lesson that Jesus might be putting in there or foreshadowing there, the cursing of this fig tree. But I don't believe even that is the main message he's trying to get through with cursing this tree. Because he said uh, to the disciples, you can do the same thing. So why would he tell them to do the same thing? What's the lesson there? I'll show you where he said that. This is, it's in Matthew's version of the same story. Matthew 21, 20. They said, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree. So what is that telling you? You can do what was done to the fig tree. And not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, you can also speak this mountain over here to be removed and cast into the sea and it would obey you. It doesn't say it would obey Jesus. It says it would obey you, your words, your mouth, your faith, if you believe and don't doubt. It says, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. 
Okay, so again, they asked Jesus, how'd you do that? They heard him say, they heard him curse the fig tree. They come back to town like, how'd you do that? And he's like, have faith of God. Literally, it says have faith of God. It's often translated have faith in God. Either one, have faith in God. He goes, you want to do what you want to do? What I just did, you can do what I just did. Have faith in God. Have faith of God. Believe God. Don't doubt and speak to this tree. Speak to this mountain. Be removed, and it would obey you. It would obey your faith. Okay. All right. Praise God. I think I'm preaching good. I don't know. If you guys are thinking I'm preaching. I'm. I'm trying anyway. I know that sometimes here and uh, when Chris Valentine's are going, it's like preach it, brother. He's like, I'm trying. I'm, tr- well, I'm trying. So, uh, not only did he say you can speak to the tree, but he told him you can speak to the mountain. Now, the Bible is filled with symbolism. Obviously, there's symbolism in the Old and New Testament, Book of Revelation. All through the Bible is sim- symbolism. You think about it, it I don't think it's going to benefit too many people for us to use our faith walking around, curse you fig tree, and I curse that fig tree, and I curse this pine tree, this whatever, you know, this tree. I don't think it's going to benefit too many people. I don't think it's going to benefit too many people throwing spear top into the, into the sea and this mountain in the sea causing tsunamis and tidal waves and stuff like that. I don't think that's probably going to be too beneficial for human life, is it? So probably I could say it's safe to say this story is symbolic, yes? The fig, the fig tree, the mulberry tree, the mountain, it is symbolic. So let's look a little deeper into what I believe he's trying to teach you. What I believe he's trying to teach us is just like in last week's lesson when he told them to speak to the mulberry tree, to speak to their own bitterness, to speak to their unforgiveness, to be moved out of their heart, moved out of their way so they can forgive. He's now telling them to speak to the fruitlessness of their lives, to get out of their way so they can produce fruit. You know, everyone wants to be fruitful. Everyone wants to have the patience of Job, if that's a good thing. I guess, I guess he, he had a lot of patience. The patience of whatever, patience of Holly's dad, the patience of you know, this kind of joy and stuff in your life. You know, that doesn't just happen. You say, well, I wish I had there this, or I wish I had there that. But he's telling you how you can have more of what you lack in the area of fruitlessness and being fruitful is speak into that area of your life that is barren and command that barrenness out of your soul and, it will, and then you will be able to produce the fruit of God from the Spirit of God who's living inside of you. Life and death in the power of your tongue. And you can speak to the fruitless situations in your life. If you remember, we are expected to produce a harvest. We're expected to produce fruit. You think, well, they're just born that way, or they just, they're, they're just the most patient person, whatever. And maybe they were, but at the same time, maybe they worked at it. Maybe they practiced it. Maybe they spoke to some things. If you ever noticed on our bulletin, we don't have one today, but you've maybe seen it before on the front, it has John 15, 16 on there. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Not sit and bear fruit, but go and bear fruit. Okay? You're going to produce a lot more fruit as you go than you're ever going to do as you sit. All right? That's some rhema right there. But uh, go and bear fruit. And as a result of bearing fruit, what's it say next? That fruit will remain. It's going to last. And that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So here it makes a direct connection between bearing fruit and answered prayer. As you go. As you go. The need's not going to be there until you go find it. We have to go find the need sometimes, right? So fruit is required. We are appointed to bear fruit. But sometimes in our life there are certain areas that don't seem very fruitful. 
They don't seem very developed. They're very mature spiritually. Okay? That's why you can see some even pastors, ministers, whoever. They have these really strong anointings for preaching or teaching or whatever. But some of the times their character isn't really developed. Because gifts are given, but fruit is grown. You have been given the measure of faith. But we have to have our, our faith, the, the fruit, developed over time as we exercise it. And as you speak to those areas in your life, you are exercising your faith. You are exercising your dominion, your authority, and your faith. And, your, and it has to obey you because God said so. It's not your opinion. It's not an EPC opinion. It's the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. He said it. It has to obey you. Okay? So other fruit in your life, think of Galatians 5. We'll read some of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's no law. So if you're going through life as a believer, you say, well, I have some of the fruit of the Spirit, but I don't have all of them. That's okay. That's where you are right now. But guess what? You can have all of them. Because the fruit of the Spirit is evidence that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. It's the fruit of the result of Holy Spirit living in you. And as we abide in Him, we're going to produce fruit. So let's say you have trouble with kindness. You're not kind sometimes. Maybe you're quick tongue and uh, you disguise it under the, the term of being a prophet. No, you don't have to be a mean prophet. Jesus was a prophet too and He wasn't mean. Okay? All right? He was kind. So you can speak to the lack of kindness, meanness, bluntness, whatever the word you feel closest to you, and you can speak to that. I speak to you to be uprooted out of me in Jesus' name and cast in the seat. You must obey me. I thank you the Holy Spirit lives in me and I will receive and produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my character, in my soul, in my life. And that's something you have to speak it and speak it and speak it until you see a harvest. Amen? Amen. All right, let me read this to you from the Passion Translation. It, it looks a little different. I like how it's worded here too. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows. Come on, somebody. That's your inheritance. That's the fruit of the Spirit in you. Joy that overflows. It's not a little dabble, do you? Your cup's supposed to be overflowing, amen? And if it's not, you need to speak to that cup to overflow and speak to anything that's stealing joy to get out of the way. All right? How about peace that subdues? right in the middle of a storm or whatever. Patient that endures. Kindness that turns into action. Not to be kind from a distance, you know. God bless you. Stay warm and well fed. And what's the Bible say? But we don't do anything about their need. How can the love of God be in us? That's challenging. A life full of virtue. Faith that prevails. Come on, somebody. Faith that prevails. It's not a wavering faith. It's not like the, the water and the ocean waves. It's faith in the Lord. It's going to prevail. And you feel like you don't have enough of that fruit growing in your life. Speak to the areas that's causing it to, like doubt and unbelief or whatever that's causing it to not be fruitful, to get out of the way, and it will naturally grow in a healthy place. Things grow in, in healthy places, amen? amen? Churches grow. People grow. Gardens grow in healthy places. So um, gentleness, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Oh, man. How much peace did Jesus give you? 
How much peace did he leave with you? He said it was his, and he said he had the oil of joy on him more than all his companions. Do we need to be in depression and fear because COVID's here? I don't think so. You think the early church would have shut down because, oh my gosh, there's a virus. We're here to kill viruses. We're here to destroy those things. We're here to destroy the works of the enemy. That's what we're here for. That's what the believers are here for. If not, we might as well be raptured right now and just go to heaven and be with Jesus and tap out. It's all over. We're here to do these things. Amen? That's what we're here for. Amen. They would have been just like, cancel church. What are you talking about? Because imagine saying that to the Apostle Paul. Like, you need to get saved, brother. I mean, you need Jesus. I mean, what are you, what are you saying? Like, you're going to cancel church? I, I know we did it. I'm, not, I'm just, I, 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 we did. And whatever. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. But I'm just saying, we need the faith to be elevated to the place of what's normal in the kingdom. Not what's normal on the planet, what's normal in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, there is no sickness, there's no poverty, there's no lack, there's no death, there's no disease, there's no destruction. There is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now I'm preaching good. Amen. So uh, these fruits should be seen in our lives as a result of the Holy Spirit living there. Okay, uh, we had sin in our lives as a result of our sin nature before we were born again, yes? So should we not now have fruit from the Lord because he lives there? Absolutely. So if we're, again, not seeing areas in our life being fruitful, we need to speak to it. I want to show you some more scripture in uh, Galatians 5 again. What causes fruitlessness in our lives? What causes this fruitlessness? Uh, Galatians five sixteen. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. So the flesh, your flesh, it's not your sin nature, your flesh, your soul realm, what you desire to do, doesn't always feel like what God wants to do. They are contrary to one another. They're, they're, they're going to conflict, okay? Okay. Uh, that is not always going to be, they're not always going to be in agreement. That means when you're, you're supposed to be led by your spirit, not led by your emotions. Not led by, well, I don't feel like doing that. Well, I don't feel like doing this. Well, I don't feel like this. I don't feel like I'm a man. I don't feel like I'm a woman. I don't feel like I'm a, 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 a heterosexual. I don't feel like I'm a this. I don't, you're not supposed to be led by your feelings. We're led by the spirit of God. We're led by the word of God. That's where confusion comes from. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I don't mean that to condemn anyone who's going through those struggles, but guess what? You're going to have to speak to it. Amen. You're going to have to speak to it. Whether it's a mountain for you, or if it's a, it's a mulberry tree, or a frig tree, you're going to have to speak to that spirit to get behind you in the name of Jesus, and you can walk in the freedom and the liberty that's yours in Christ. Amen. Individually. Right. Individually. Let me show you this. Um, let me drop down verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy. Sounds like a church meeting, some of them. But, uh, oh God, help me. I'm sorry, I'm a preacher's kid. I just grew up and <laughs> seen too many things. Uh, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies. God convict us. Envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand 
just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will get promoted as deacons. Oh, God, help me. <laughs> I said we'll get promoted as deacons, but it says we'll not inherit the kingdom of God. I am trying to be a little funny. Uh, guys, we all have areas of our flesh that need to work. I'm not picking on a certain church, denomination, anything. I'm just talking about people, right? It's people and people. We, we need Jesus. Whether you're saved or they're not saved yet, we're in transition if you're saved from glory to glory. There's going to be stuff we're going to have to work on, right? But if you have these things in your life, these things listed there, you need to speak to them to get out of the way and cast in the sea, and then you're going to be able to produce fruit and fruit that will remain, fruit that's going to be able to be seen and be able to feed other people from this good fruit. Let me show you what this says in the Passion Translation, same verses, starting verse 19. It's, uh, it's really well-worded. The cravings of the self-life are obvious. So he's using self-life where, where flesh was, are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God. Ouch. All right? Manipulating others. Hatred of those who get in your way. Wow. Senseless arguments. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> resentment when others are favored. That's jealousy. Why did they get it? What did it happen for them? Why is it, you know, whatever. Not, not the fruit of the Holy Spirit, guys. That's the fruit of a baby. Amen? I mean, if I'm guilty, I'm guilty. If the shoe fits, we'll wear it, right? But that's what it is. Temper tantrum. I'm not getting my way. Angry quarrels. Only thinking of yourself. Being in love with your own opinions. Ooh. <laughs> Man, it's getting... <laughs> okay. Uh, being envious of the blessings of others. Murder. Uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God? Okay? Those things and probably many other things do not produce the kind of life that God desires in us. And if you are struggling with any of these things or something that didn't make this list, you can find other lists in the Bible. There's plenty of other ones, right? But you need to speak to that fruitless situation. It's stifling the growth of the real fruit that God wants you to have. It's like weeds in your garden. You need to speak to them to be uprooted and cast out of your life, and it will obey you. But I can't speak to that weed for you. <laughs> the weed, sorry. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I have plenty of sleep. I don't know why I'm acting so weird today. Praise God, but I'm having fun. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> Speak to those weeds, the seeds, whatever's going on in your life that isn't producing the desired results that you need. And we need to glorify Jesus. We need to speak to them, be out of the way. Okay? Um, I believe uh, one of the ways we can resist flesh uh, is by doing what Jesus taught. And that's speaking to these trees. Okay? Speaking to these trees. Uh, now let's say someone struggled with having trouble with jealousy. Just to be, have an example for you. And they, they need to speak to jealousy because jealousy is a sin. You are not going to glorify God with your jealousy. Jealousy might seem so minor in the church world because in the church world, gossip is acceptable, fear is acceptable, jealousy, jealousy is acceptable. But if you have a sexual sin, oh no, you're in deep trouble. Oh no, there's no hope for you. But if you have jealousy, we, we can handle that because we're used to that. So we're in our comfort zone. I'm talking about church universal, not plum tree, okay? Just, are you here? Are you okay? But it's still sin. Well, it's jealousy if it's fear, if it's hatred, if it's, if it's sexual sin, it's all in the same paragraph. It's not fruit 
that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's coming from their flesh, which came from the, the sin nature that left that residue in you, and you need to cast it out. Amen. It's not a demon. It's just part of your flesh. And you need to tell it to leave so you can have good fruit. So um, that's part of exercising your faith. That's part of expressing your faith. And, it's, and you, instead of rebuking that jealousy, but then embrace the celebration when other people have victory. That's something you'll have to practice if, if you struggle with jealousy. We, this guy gets a promotion, and that guy gets a promotion, and this guy gets a raise, and you don't. You get skipped over, and they get it. You need to celebrate that and celebrate that because what you're doing, you're stomping on that spirit of jealousy that's trying to rise up in you. You're speaking to it. You're exercising faith. I will not be jealous. God is my source. He provided for them. He will provide for me. I'll rejoice with those who rejoice. I will mourn with those who mourn. But God is my source. He will provide. And when we, when we get jealous, we don't think, well, yeah, he did it for them, but he won't do it for me. Well, they're just lucky because their parents have more money than they did, or, or they had this, or they were raised in a better home than I was, so now they have excuses for their poverty mentality. And guys, that is not going to get you from glory to glory. Amen? Are you okay? Am I being too blunt? I'm sorry. I mean, we're responsible for us, okay? You can't blame your parents, can't blame mom and dad, can't blame the... The doctor can't blame the nurse, can't blame the, or slapping you, whatever. <laughs> you, you can't blame them. It's on us. And we are responsible for us, and we have to exercise our faith and speak the word. Amen. Now, I got a little picture here to show you how easy it is for jealousy to try to creep its head. Why don't you put that picture of Micah's fish up there? Uh, we were fishing Friday, and Jordan and I and Mike were fishing uh, in Bakersville. That's all I'll say. Because, you know, people don't like to give away their fishing spots. <laughs> but anyway, and uh, so we're fishing. Just barely got there. Micah had a hook on and had some bread on the line. And, uh, and we I didn't have my line tied yet. I was still tying my, my line, putting some bait on. And Micah went to go throw in another pole on the other side of the pond. And next, he had it leaned up against the back of this chair on this small little dock. And he goes, Dad, grab my pole. The chair's about to flip into the, into the lake or the pond. Like, all right, so I run over and grab his pole. And I didn't feel much weight. I was like, oh, this is just a little guy. I'm like, no big deal. And I handed him, I didn't even crank it, just handed it to him. Went over, went back to work on mine. He goes, Dad, go get the net. I'm like, man, I'm not going to get the net for your two-pound bass, okay? Right? You can pull that thing in. You, it's going to hold it. He goes, it's bigger than that. I go, no, it is. And I felt it. There was no weight on that thing at all. It's just a little guy. Because I'm telling you, he must have been swimming towards you. It's big. So he finally came up, and it's, I don't know, it was three, three and a half feet. I mean, it's really big. It's very heavy. And uh, we didn't get a measurement, but it was 20 pounds. And so anyway, it comes up to the top, and I'm like, whoa! And I run over, and I get the net, and I get the net, and I go to scoop it. And as soon as I touch it, it just went splash with its tail. Mike and I were just totally drenched instantly because this thing's a big fish. And I finally scoop it up, and the, the metal net, but it, started, it was bending the net like it was going to break because this thing was so heavy. We brought it over, away from the water so it wouldn't get away, and, any, and got the pictures and stuff. But uh, time went on, and uh, later, Micah caught another fish. We got a three-and-a-half-pound ba bass. Jordan caught nothing, and I caught a fishing pole with a bunch of, uh, a bunch of tree branches stuck to the old line. I thought, there might be a fish on this other pole. I'm pulling it in like, oh, man, this happened to Elijah Gregg with my pole twice. And I'm like, maybe it's my turn. And I'm like pulling it in, pulling in, and I was just sticks and stuff on the end of that thing and a bunch of dirt. And uh, so we sat there in the hot sun for hour after hour waiting for fish to bite, which they don't often like to bite when it's hot. But anyway, I didn't catch anything. I'm like, man, I wish I caught that 20-pound carp. That would have been a good picture on Facebook. Man, oh, that would have been awesome. Yeah, we let it go. 
yeah, it's, it's a catch and release pond. Yeah, it's, it's back. It's alive. It swam away. Um, yeah, we definitely, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I'm fishing on the other end of the pond, just casting in, just trying to get something. I was happy for a bluegill at that point, just anything. I'd catch a little baby, whatever, just say I caught something. Nothing. And uh, after a while, I kind of felt this little feeling of jealousy start to creep up. Well, why'd he get a, a big 20-pound fish and you didn't get anything? I mean, the devil is a jerk, okay, if you haven't learned yet. He's a liar. He's a jerk. He doesn't play fair. I'm not jealous of Micah's fish. If God wants me, I can get one some other day and whatever. Carp are hard to catch, but, but I started to feel that. And some of you guys might have felt that. Too. This is my son. I want all my sons to be successful, catch them, do them, whatever. But when you start to feel something like that, if that's, that's not a red flag to you, that that's the devil trying to do something with your own kid and you're jealous of your own, the blessings of your own children, something's not right. So right then, I've been working on this sermon all week. So I was like, in the name of Jesus, I speak to that. They didn't hear me. I was at the other end of the pond. I was doing the quiet. I speak to that jealous spirit. You will not ride your head in my house in Jesus' name. I bless my children to be successful and succeed me by far. And that's fine by me. And I just like, no. And I, just, I receive the love of God and the jealousy. I rejoice with those who rejoice. Guys, you know what? You got to practice what you preach. Because that might just be a fish, but it's also a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that goes to, well, how come they got that car? Or how come they got that house? Or how come he got that job? How come this? And all of a sudden, you're comparing. The Bible says when you compare yourself with ourselves, we are not wise. It is not honor God because it leads to jealousy, fault-finding, and pride. Well, why'd they get it? They're stupid. They don't even have a degree. I'm way smarter than them. I'm way better looking than them. I'm way whatever than them. They're, they don't have two clues rubbed together, whatever. It doesn't matter why, right? They got the job, but you didn't. You need to thank God and celebrate that from your heart and trust God to promote you in due season. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will promote you in due season. It is a word you can stand on day or night, no matter what season we're walking through. Amen? Amen. Stay humble. Or let's say you're having trouble with pornography or sexual addictions and things like that. On the outside, you can look like the best Christian in the county. Leaves are green, great smile, but at home, you have this secret problem that you don't want to tell anybody about because it's shameful or because it's embarrassing or you tell somebody, I'm trying to, I don't know where to look right now because I don't want anyone to think I'm thinking of somebody, but it's shameful, <laughs> it's embarrassing or whatever because um, uh, I don't know of anybody's issues. If you do, you can tell me and I'll pray for you or you can pray for yourself too, but anyway, wow, okay. So uh, pornography and you're having trouble with it. You know, Pornography is ruining people's lives. You know, it comes from the devil. It goes from there into sex trafficking and, uh, uh, you know, prostitution and all kinds of evil stuff. It starts in an image, in a picture, from a book or a website. And it actually causes brain damage to your brain to not think, think right. It can actually cause people to become predators and rapists and murderers, and all kinds of evil, and it can start right there in our imagination from looking at some pornography. So it's not a little thing. It's a big thing. Do you know during COVID that the, the porn industry released more free websites and free magazines and stuff? Not magazines, but just websites and different free access that normally cost X number of dollars a month, which I do not know from experience of that. I just heard someone tell me, so you know, I don't, I don't struggle with porn. Crazy, I did at one point for a short time. But I got delivered from it. And if you have, you can. It's not a disease, right? It's a spirit. 
and you can get free from it, okay? So I'm saying this with a clean heart here uh, and no condemnation, but uh, it's ruining marriages. It's uh, pastors are struggling with it, and then they, the deacon walks in or the elder walks in, catches them, they're fired, then it causes divorces and heartache and heartbreaks, and guys, there's an answer for it, and it's in the name of Jesus. It's in the power of Jesus, and you need to speak to pornography, the spirit behind pornography, to be uprooted out of your heart and cast into the sea, and it will obey you. Amen. It will obey you. And I didn't even know that teaching, this teaching back the time, when it was 1999, I think, around there. Well, I was, had my battle with this. And what I, I, I took the word, though. I had two scriptures I stood on. I put no perverse thing in front of my eyes. No, I put no vile thing in front of my eyes, and a perverse heart has departed from me. It's two different verses. I can't remember where they are now. I took the two of them, and I just say them together, like, just all the time, randomly throughout the day. Whether I was feeling tempted or I wasn't feeling tempted, just randomly throughout the day, I say, no. If it started to come in my imagination, I'd say, no. I'll put no vile thing in front of my eyes. A perverse heart has departed from me. And after a while, I don't remember how long it was. I wasn't really keeping track. Man, I'm telling you, it broke in me so completely severed clean that I felt like I could, if I felt like the devil was trying to tempt me with something, I'm like, whatever, man, whatever. That is so like yesterday. That is so gone. Because that is the power of God and his word in your mouth. Renard Bunke heard God say, my word in your mouth is as powerful as my word in my mouth. When you're speaking, what God tells you to say, there is power. There is anointing there to break stuff off that you don't need to carry. Amen? Amen. Or think about the parable of the sower. I'll share this in closing. Parable of the sower. Seed was sown everywhere, some on the path, some on the, in the thorns, some in the garden, you know. And, uh, but only one type of that soil produced fruit. And that soil represents our hearts, you know. Stony ground, packed down ground, walked on ground, herding ground that's been trampled on and crushed down and just beaten down. And you try to grow fruit in that place, and it's tough. It's tough to do. And uh, one of the reasons why that says the Bible says that fruit wouldn't grow was because of the cares of this world. That could be desires for things, desires to buy stuff, or desires of wealth or whatever. It can also be fear. I care too much about what you think. I care too much about what the world thinks. I care too much about he thinks or she thinks or they might think that they that's out there wherever, we don't know where. But uh, that's fear of man. Fear of disapproval. Fear of rejection. Fear of punishment. Fear of failure, fear of what if I don't do this good enough? That guy can do it better than me, so since he can do it better for me, I don't want to do it at all because he's better than me. And so I need to get out of the way and let him do it because I don't want to do it wrong. And guys, that is coming straight from hell. And I bet everyone in this room has probably heard something similar along those lines or felt the impression of, I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, guess what? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And that is the way, the truth, and the life. All things. There are no limits. Remember we read that in Galatians, the passionate, no limits. There's no limit. I believe fear is the number one reason why people don't obey God. Doubt, unbelief probably in there too, but fear. Fear will cause us not even want to hear God. I don't want to hear him because he might tell me to do something and I'm not going to do it. And then I'm not going to do it. I'm going to feel guilty for not doing it. I'm going to feel shame for not doing it. And so I don't want to hear him, so I don't have to feel the guilt, the condemnation, shame. Well, guess what the Bible says? Fear has to do with torment. 
You're tormented when you hear God, and then you're tormented after you don't obey God. So what do you want to do? You just want to shut the voice off in your heart. I don't want to hear him because I'm too afraid to obey him because I'm afraid I can't do what he's telling me to do. But who in the Bible could do what God told him to do? Even Jesus did what he heard the Father saying and what he saw him doing. And when you step out in faith, in obedience, that's where the fruit is. Fear suppresses our love. Fear encourages unbelief, encourages disobedience. Fear is not our friend, amen? Fear is tormenting. So after a while, if we have these fearful feelings, we're going to say, you know what? I just don't want to hear God anymore because I can't handle this pain anymore. I can't handle this guilty feelings, this feeling like God's upset with me or mad at me. And we tune off the heart of our Father for the approval of man. You hear me? Um, yeah. So if you struggle with fear, maybe that's a mountain for you. Maybe it's just a tree. But you need to speak to it to be uprooted and cast in the sea and it would obey you. You know, I had a really humbling experience yesterday. I'll tell you about Holly and I and Mark and Laura and the family went to go see Rob and Sharon. They had their uh, viewing ceremony for Sharon's brother who tragically died recently, only 41 years old, and uh, it was hard, hard to be there. We wanted to be there for our friends. It was just, it was, it was tough. I mean, you guys have all been to funerals. They're, they're never easy, but um, while I was there, um, Matt, one of, uh, they had two girls, Jessica and Brittany, and they married two brothers, and uh, one of them, they were here for our pr- prophetic conference. You guys might remember them, but Matt, one of the brothers, him and I got talking uh, for a while just about miracles and stuff, and, you know, this guy probably knows he might watch this later, so I'm not meaning his insult, but he probably knows less scripture than everybody in here. He didn't grow up really in the church, really on the word. Uh, he didn't grow up in, in it, but you know, he's doing more things for Jesus than anybody I've talked to in a while. And uh, I was feeling, I, was, I hope my face didn't show it too obviously, I was feeling so challenged and so convicted, like, what happened to my heart? That used to be my stories. It's the first time I've talked to someone in a long time that had more stories than me. I have lots of stories, but, I mean, yesterday doesn't matter today. And uh, he had, like, like, really fresh stories, and I'll tell you some of them. Again, he wasn't waiting for a Ph.D., a Master's of Divinity, or to have the whole New Testament memorized. He was obeying the voice of his father. And he's 25 years old, and uh, he used to be on drugs, had a really rough background, but God set him free, so he feels like he has a powerful testimony. And I asked him, have you felt more limited to go out and minister to people during the COVID season because people don't want you touching them or talking to them or whatever? He goes, nope. He goes, the battle is the Lord's, not mine. I'm like, huh. I mean, it just, his answer really just took me off guard. I'm like, okay, well, all right. So he goes, the battle is the Lord's, not mine. So he, just tell you a few stories. He, uh, he goes to Walmart, and he sees this man, and, and he, he says, and Father spoke to me. He said, tell that man over there that he has, I think he had pain in his left knee, but he doesn't, he doesn't believe God. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, actually doesn't, he doesn't know what he believes. He's been told so many things, he doesn't know who the real God is. And he goes, all right, now that's a word that if someone walked up to me and told me, I'd be like, well, who the heck are you to tell me? Like, you know, like, I don't know you, but he just did it. He goes, the battle of the Lord's. So he walked over to him and said, hey, uh, sir, um, I don't know you, but when you walked by, the Lord spoke to me. He told me, you don't know what you believe. And you have pain in your, in your left knee. And uh, you don't know what you believe. 
you've prayed before and you don't know who the real God is, but the real God is Jesus Christ. He loves you, wants to save you and heal you. And that man right there outside of Walmart just started sobbing, tears going down his face right in the parking lot. Had no idea who this guy was. And uh, he leads him to the Lord right there. His knee got healed. And he goes, God just told me I need to go buy a Bible. Can you wait right here? I'm going to go in Walmart and buy a Bible. So he goes in to buy a Bible. Again, 25 years old. I mean, he's, he's green behind the ears you can get, right? He's, anyway, and uh, he was in looking for Bibles, can't find one. So he asked the lady, he, he asked this lady to help him, and this lady was a young lady, and she had red eyes. She had red contacts in her eyes. It's someone you'd think of, of someone who's um, a Satanist or something, just really dark and like red eyes and stuff. And uh, he, he, he gets excited. He doesn't feel intimidated. He's excited. He's like, oh, man, here's another one. Like, <laughs> like, and he says, he says to her, oh, man, I just got my, this buddy saved in the parking lot, received Jesus, and I didn't need to buy a Bible so I can go uh, give it to him and and uh, she goes, I'm not very religious. He goes, oh, that's okay. Jesus loves you, though. He goes, and I can see. He goes, actually, God just spoke to me. You've been struggling with two things. She's like, he goes, you've been struggling with anxiety and suicidal thoughts. She's like, who told you? He goes, Jesus. He lives inside of me. He tells me all kinds of stuff. And it just, this is normal conversation, as you can imagine. She starts crying there in Walmart. And uh, she said, uh, I've been trying to kill myself for a while now. She pulls up her sleeve. She had these deep cuts in her arm, where she'd been using a razor blade to cut and slit her wrists. And uh, he goes, I didn't even look at him, because I didn't want to get my faith off of Jesus and onto the problem. I don't keep looking at the solution. But I just kept looking in her eyes and smiling, praising. He goes, let's pray. And he, he laid his hand on her hand and prayed for her, and all those scars disappeared off her arm right there in Walmart. Disappeared, like deep cuts, disappeared. And uh, she starts crying and sobbing. He goes, I told you, Jesus loves you. He goes, Jesus is powerful. Guys, do we believe that, that Jesus is powerful? So he leads her to the Lord in Walmart. She shows him where the Bible is. He goes out to the parking lot, gives the guy the Bible, and by then this guy has another buddy there. So he goes, oh, there's another one. And he starts ministering to this other guy, and he gets saved too, 25. Doesn't know a lot of verses. He's learning as he goes. He's learning as he goes, like the verse, John 15, 16, as you go, produce fruit, fruit that will last. Um, he sometimes feels led to go at 3 in the morning to a parking lot. He goes to this parking lot, and these people show up and start smoking pot and doing drugs and drinking and partying and stuff out there. And he's out there, and he's just smiling, and he's looking at him like, like what you looking at? He goes, nothing. But Jesus loves you. And then they think, he goes like, <laughs> you know, just slug him or something. He just stands there smiling, and by the end of the night, he's ministering to these guys. They're getting saved. They're getting born again, and they're getting delivered from drugs. Guys, we are the light of the world. We're not trying to be. We are, and fear is suppressing our light. We're putting our, our light under a lampstand and not putting on a mountain where it can be seen. God tells them to go to the Mayflower. I don't know, some place in Gastonia, I think. I don't know if it's a restaurant or a store. You guys know what Mayflower is? Mary said Mayflower. Is a restaurant? Okay, so he goes to this place. And, uh, okay, so he goes to the Mayflower, and he sees his family walking in. And this man's, and he, he had stories like nonstop. I mean, it just it was a bunch. I'll just tell you this one, we'll, we'll stop. But, and uh, this family's walking in, and this man's walking in with a cane, and uh, he's limping really bad. And he's, I think he said he's around 60-something. And uh, he, he was born with a club foot. His foot's totally turned to the side. And he said, uh, I'd like, he said to the, the wife, because the man kept walking, didn't hear him, said, I'd like to pray for your husband. She goes, oh, that'd be fine. He goes, yeah, I hear Jesus. Jesus talks to me and tells me stuff, and I pray for people, and God touches them. Jesus, he's powerful. 
And uh, so she goes, okay. She goes, but just so you know, young man, he was born that way. You see what happened right there? It's subtle, but it's the devil building a case against what God can do. He was born that way. So that means it must be too huge for God. Oh, he was born that way. Or it means that they believe God made him that way. It's one or the other, whatever. So anyway, um, that's okay. Jesus is powerful. And uh, he goes over to the man in the restaurant, places his hand on his foot, and the foot totally turns straight. He gets all the release, full mobility in his foot. The guy drops his cane, starts crying. Jesus is powerful, guys. He's 25. He hasn't been to school, Bible school. Hasn't been trained. But he's learning to hear God's voice and just do what he says. Guys, that's what we're called to do. Jesus showed that all through the Bible. That's what we are called to do. I want to close with uh, reading Galatians 5, uh, 16 through 18 from the Passion. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your (laughs) self-life. Is that not good? For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living freely within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your self-life from dominating you. Praise God. So then, the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. But when you are brought into the full freedom of the Spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the domination of the law, but soaring above it. Amen. Guys, I may have been hard on some things today, but it's just burning in me. I was seriously challenged by Matt's stories, um, and I need some new ones. Not because I need another notch on my belt or something, but because there's people that are hurting and dying, committing suicide, being addicted to drugs, their marriages are falling apart, and it's because the church is not being the church. It's not the government's fault. It is the church's responsibility. He put us here as the light and the salt. And we need to let our light so shine. And I just want you guys to, I want you guys to challenge me. And I want to challenge you to let our light shine. If you don't see me being bold enough, somebody challenge me. Somebody shake me. Somebody do something. Don't let me fall back in this slumber that I was in before 2020 hit to wake us up out of this stuff. Because there are people everywhere. I can't just be content that we have had good attendance or there's good money in the bank at the church or whatever. That is good. But there's more to be done for the Lord. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so um, that's just my heart. God's doing in me. I thank God for Matt. It was, I felt humbled, challenged, and convicted all at the same time because I think that story of the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat got a little bit deeper in there than I had realized. Because when you, as you know, when you have lost, it hurts. And when you've prayed for people and you don't see that result sometimes, it hurts. But I'm not supposed to live my life for me. I'm supposed to live my life for him. And I need to speak to that hurt and pain and be gone and just walk in what he asked me to do the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And the more we lick our wounds, I think the harder we get, let our heart get from obeying him the next time. At least that's for me personally. 
So why don't you guys stand? I'm going to pray a blessing on you. God, I do pray you would open my eyes, our eyes to see those you died for, those you came to seek and save, those that don't have it all together, those that are barren, fruitless, those that their life might look good on the outside, but inside it's just dead man's bones. God, let us see the way you see. I pray for the poverty mentality that we're not enough, we don't know enough, or don't have enough to leave in Jesus' name. I thank you, God. Your word says we have more than enough, and we are more than conquerors, more than overcomers through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I thank you, Lord. With you, all things are possible. So God, help us to get ourselves out of the way, fear out of the way, insecurity out of the way, shame, bitterness, unbelief, whatever it is, God, out of the way, that we could truly produce the fruit in the life that gives you the most glory and the most honor. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.